Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This week, we discuss Tim Cook's interview with Kara Swisher, who could be the next CEO of Apple. Apple announces support for third-party trackers in the Find My app, and Apple makes a major push with Apple Arcade. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Get three extra months for free at expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. And by Startmail. Secure your email privacy with Startmail and get 50% off your first year. Go to startmail.com slash AI. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This week, I'm happy to have Wes Hilliard back on the show. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good. Two weeks feels like a long time between shows. I know it's a long time. You know, it's an even longer time, September. And I'm reminded every time you send that GIF, because you're the master of the Earth, Wind, and Fire GIF, every time I bring up the iPad Pro and you just keep pushing it out. Well, you set up yourself for the last one. That was kind of your fault. I know, I did. I did. And we're going to get to that too, because there were some iPad leaks, but then chip shortages. And Wes, if this thing doesn't come out till September, I don't know what I'm going to do. We'll get to that. The first thing I wanted to talk about, this interview actually came out Monday on Kara Swisher's podcast called Sway with the New York Times. And Kara Swisher, you know, she was previously of all things D, did that with Walt Mossberg. And they had Steve Jobs on multiple times when they did that conference. But she interviewed Tim Cook on the podcast. And it was very interesting. It's just about 30 minutes. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that so you can listen to it. And they spent a lot of time talking about privacy and security, a little bit about augmented reality too, which we'll get to. But he started out by talking about Facebook. And well, Kara Swisher kept asking about Facebook because Mark Zuckerberg's been really pushing against Apple's privacy practices and this app tracking that's going to be coming with iOS 14.5, where users will have the option to opt out of tracking in the whatever apps, all the apps on the iPhone. And Karen Swisher kept asking about Facebook, but Tim Cook really tried stepping back and saying, listen, we are not in the social media game which there was a funny quip because Kara Swisher mentioned Ping. And if listeners remember Ping, the uh, social network for iTunes, which died. And Tim Cook actually laughed at it, so that was funny. But it was interesting that uh, while the conversation kept coming back to Facebook, Tim Cook was pretty adamant just to say, listen, we believe that technology is an amplifier. That's a quote from the interview. And he says that he believes Apple has a responsibility, like all technologies have a responsibility to moderate these things and also let users and consumers have the choice of privacy and security, as well as that the content that's put on these platforms are not hateful or violence-inducing and all that. The attack on the Capitol here at the U.S. was a big instigator for that. And so I thought Tim Cook was very clear on that, really tried to keep coming back to privacy, and I think made it clear that he and Apple are not going to back down from this battle. Well, I think it was a really funny moment when Kara kept pressing him on Facebook and he's just like, we we don't consider them a competitor. If we made a top 10 list of competitors, Facebook's not even there. We're just not in that business. And I think that's the, one of the just biggest slaps to Facebook they've had so far, <laughs> just because they're saying you don't exist to us. Why do you, why do we, why do you matter? One of the comments on this was that he's just not focused on Facebook, that everything that has to do with privacy may affect them, but they're not directly targeting Facebook in this battle for consumer privacy. Right, because it applies to every app across the store. You know, so other social networks that, you know, have been a little shady with data, whether that's TikTok or the, you know, the other Facebook apps out there, whether it's Instagram or WhatsApp, but any app, you know, whether it's a social network, whether it's, you know, the Google apps where the privacy labels are out and you can see all the data they collect, you know, this applies to everyone. And so I think Apple is committed to that. But what I also found interesting was they talked about side loading. 
And Kara Swisher asked him, you know, would, would you consider sideloading apps on iOS, meaning that you could install apps on your iPhone or iPad that are not in the App Store? And this has been in the argument for, you know, more openness on the platform for iOS. Epic, obviously one of the loudest battles, you know, they're actually getting ready to go into the court case. But Tim Cook addressed the sideloading specifically, and he said sideloading on iOS would break privacy and security. And while we've talked about that on this show before, and yes, we understand that Apple institutes certain privacy and security measures for apps on the App Store, I wish Kara Swisher would have fired back to say, do you feel that way about the Mac? You know, do you feel like the Mac is not private and secure because you're allowed to install apps, whether they're signed by Apple or not, or whether they're from trusted developers or not? And I feel like I could be wrong, but I feel like Tim Cook and Apple would say the Mac is still one of the most secure computing platforms, and they do a lot of work to keep it from malware and security updates, you know, even for older versions of the OS. And so I wish Kara would have asked that, but I thought that was an interesting stance. And he seemed to make it clear that sideloading on iOS is not going to be coming anytime soon. Well, let me step into Tim Cook's shoes for a minute. Um, I won't put on an Alabama accent, but <laughs> thank you. I'll, I'll say that from Apple's point of view, I don't believe the Mac is seen as a device on the same playing field as iPhone. Because when you consider the install base over a billion users across the entire planet versus Mac, which has a significant install base these days, even compared to Windows, but it's still not the juggernaut that iPhone is. Giving users the ability, like on Windows or Mac OS, either one, uh, to install third-party apps from the web, it's just a natural evolution of that platform. Taking that away would inherently change that platform but at the same time, I think that users on those platforms are educated about that type of interaction with the computer versus uh, the iPhone. It's bought by everyone from seniors to children and used day to day. And I think Apple sees that their control over the App Store and the security and privacy of those apps is inherent to the device experience by not allowing people to accidentally install a Yahoo extension that constantly tells them to search for things and right. open advertising windows in the background. Just it's impossible on iOS to have any kind of experience that just sl inherently slows down the device or bogs it with malware or anything like that, where even on Mac OS, if you turn off enough settings, you can get some pretty nasty stuff on there. Yeah. And this being like the iPhone being the mass consumer electronic device that it is, Apple just feels a little bit more, you know, protective over its baby. Yeah. I agree. I just feel like as they continue to try to use that as a defense, it's becoming more and more, prob not problematic, but you know, Epic is really going to push on this, the difference between Mac and OS. It's kind of a double standard. It is, it is a thread that you can pull on to see where it leads for sure. Yeah, and I think we're going to see this a lot again in the Epic versus Apple court case, which is coming up in May. Uh, they've already released some statements. I'll put a link in show notes about how they're going to approach this lawsuit and their argument. One of their points is the iOS versus Mac platform, but also to the iOS App Store argument. You know, Tim Cook is talking about the curation. You know, he talked about curation in content. He talked about how Apple News has human curation and they fight against fake news and that curation, and they're really just trying to bring the best content to the top. And so human curation, he said that multiple times. But then when you look at the iOS App Store and you think about the sideloading question and the security angle. We've been seeing lately a number of apps that are outright scams in the App Store. 
And these are apps that they might say, you know, hey, 99 cents a week, but then it goes up to $5 or some kind of, you know, free trial, but then it goes into a higher subscription plan in a bi-week subscription. So really milking people for money in these apps and apps that don't do what they advertise and apps that could be, you know, dangerous, like a VPN app or an app that proposes to be a VPN. If someone, you know, at least knows enough where they say, you know, I want a VPN app to keep my internet browsing secure. First of all, let me recommend ExpressVPN. We're actually sponsoring this episode. It's a great time. But that could be dangerous if someone downloads some third-party VPN app that is not secure, that might try to install a profile on their iPhone or iPad. And with all the human curation they talk about doing with news and the other parts of the Apple ecosystem, it seems like they're the App Store, again, it's like this, I don't know if double standard is the right word, but it's kind of talking on both sides of their mouth. Yeah, there's been a lot of conversations surrounding this. I mean, Epic has done a terrible job of attacking this angle just because it's hard to fight for the little guy when you're the billion-dollar giant that owns Fortnite um, and everything that they say comes off as disingenuous. Plus, there's their years of planning that like that's come to surface that they've been planning this for years to just you know attack apple and see if they can wrest control of the app store or whatever looking beyond epic there's other developers who've been having issues and been speaking out vocally and one of them i don't think we ever got to it on uh or previous shows but uh costa eleftero i think that's how you pronounce his name he's the guy who develops flick type he has actually sued apple for damages uh to his business and malicious app store practices and such just stating that uh, they have control over the app store and everything in it and claim privacy and security as the reason but then don't practice what they preach and he's over the last few months been sharing examples of these fraudulent apps that have existed on the app store and continue to exist and they Mm -hmm. uh, charge uh, inordinate amounts of money to unknowing customers and like uh, the most recent example that we wrote about the other day is this app called string vpn do not find it do not download it it charges ten dollars a week for whatever it does and it doesn't appear to really do anything but it it made it through app review and they're paying for advertisements across the web that say recommended by Apple in the advertisement, which obviously isn't true. And they've purchased whatever hundreds of five-star ratings that are obviously fake that look like they've been put through a AI word right. jumble. This is such an obvious scam, but yet yeah, it's drawing $1 million a week in revenue. And that's just insane. And Apple has to see that those numbers. They have to see this thing. That is it actually a VPN? If it actually works, then sure, maybe Apple has some reason to ignore it, but it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, and I think if an app is charging per week, there needs to be some kind of visual cue to the user. Like, this is not a per month subscription. This is a per week, you know, because that app subscription window that slides up at the bottom of your iPhone, it looks exactly the same, whether it's an annual subscription, monthly, or apparently weekly. And so I just think there needs to be some kind of flag to let users know, because people who might not be tech savvy and subscribe to these things, it's just, they're going to be scammed. I mean, it's it's literally that. There is no reason for there to be a weekly 
venue. It is it is the most obvious like avenue right. for scams. Like that's that's where all the scam apps go. The coloring books that charge it, you know, ten dollars, twenty dollars a week. It's always insane because users just ignore it and think they're paying per month and just click straight through. Like there, there's been some arguments saying that the the weekly should disappear, and I agree. I, I think the only reason why it existed originally is to give newspapers and magazines the ability to charge on a weekly basis. But I, again, I don't see their being any difference in just charging four times as much and doing a per month basis subscription. There's no reason why that shouldn't be the case. Well, as they went on in the interview, Tim Cook and Kara Swisher, they mentioned augmented reality and Kara Swisher asked Tim Cook about it directly. Of course, Tim Cook didn't mention any specific product or platform that they're working on. He said that, you know, he will not comment on that. But he did say that augmented reality can make conversations better. And so he quotes this as he's talking to Kara Swisher, quote, you and I are having a great conversation right now. Arguably, it could be even better if we were able to augment our discussion with charts or other things that appear, end quote, you know, went on to say has uses in health, education, retail, and all that. So clear that Tim Cook and Apple have an interest and believe that AR is going to be a big deal, even as much into daily conversations. And I tweeted out as I was thinking about it, listening to this interview, man, if it would just pop up the name of the person I'm talking to, <laughs> so I didn't have to rack my brain to try and remember it. I'm just, I'm terrible with names until I, you know, I really have to try uh, to remember it. It takes me a number of times like, man, just something as simple as that would be great, but also all the other use cases that Tim Cook is talking about. So it seems very clear that they have a big interest in augmented reality. I'm not sure if it'll be this year at WWDC or if we have to wait another year, but it seems clear that they're working on something. A quick tangent, the idea of calling up like a number spreadsheet that'll float next to your head or whatever. This interview occurred over like a FaceTime call. So it would definitely be interesting to, to see if Apple wants to implement some kind of video like communication system like FaceTime, but for business and implement more screen sharing or uh, media sharing implements yeah. uh, throughout like a call, like you know, bring up that spreadsheet or bring up that image uh, just straight to the FaceTime call. Because I feel like Apple might be interested in some of these business chats like Slack, and I don't see them doing anything direct, but an indirect implementation like that in FaceTime would be smart. And small things like that add up over time. I think it just getting people used to the idea of having these things kind of like current implementation in FaceTime where you can have stickers and objects uh, floating around you. Mm -hmm. If you just stick them into the, the video, people can just see them there. And uh, I think that kind of stuff can kind of become the norm the more Apple implements it into their programs. Yeah, for sure. Well, and then they also talked about the car. And so Kara Swisher asked him about the car directly. Again, Tim Cook didn't say anything about a product that they were developing. Kara said she would love if Apple made a car. <laughs> so that was a funny comment. But Tim Cook says, we love to integrate hardware and software and own the whole stack kind of idea. Because she asked, would it just be a platform in a car? like CarPlay or would you know would Apple design the na the navigation and what is on the screen or would they build the whole thing and Tim Cook implied they like owning everything hardware and software which seems like maybe it would be a full complete Apple car not just Apple software inside a Hyundai or or Kia car so I thought that was interesting he also compared it to building a robot he said like building a car isn't like building any like a computer it's like building a full autonomous robot which is a funny comment I think yes <laughs> yeah that was and finally in some of the last comments Tim Cook said you know how long is he going to be at Apple going forward he said probably not 10 more years and that was an interesting comment he is 60 now and so in 10 years he would be 70 and so that makes sense you know obviously 
before he gets to 70, he's going to retire or at least move to some other board type position, maybe go like the Phil Schiller route where you ride a Lord of the Rings style boat into the, uh, into the elf lands. I'm not sure what happens to previous Apple executives. Neil had a great piece looking at who would be the next CEO when Tim Cook leaves sometime in the next 10 years. We'll put a link to that article in show notes. But you, know, you have some obvious front runners for who would step into that role. Craig Federighi, who is actually only 51 years old, senior VP of software engineering. He's actually younger than I realized or thought. You know, 10 years, he would be 61, kind of the age Tim Cook is now, but seems like a clear front runner. Or Greg Joswiak, who's the senior VP of Worldwide Marketing. Obviously, he's a, a candidate. And Jeff Williams as well. We've seen a lot of Jeff Williams in recent Apple keynote recorded events. Jeff Williams is actually currently the COO, the chief operating officer, which is the position Tim Cook had before he was made CEO. So that'd be an interesting connection. And also some other possible choices, but maybe not as likely. Lisa Jackson, who's Apple's VP of Environment. She's 59 right now. She's the woman, if you remember, in one of the recent events, she was on top of the Apple spaceship building, (laughs) looking like precariously standing on the roof. Uh, So that was Lisa Jackson. And also John Turnus, who's Apple's senior VP of hardware engineering. He's actually in his possible 40s. We're not exactly sure his age, but he's been in some recent Apple keynotes as well. And you might be a a younger person to take that role uh, in the event that Tim Cook retires. Honestly, I mean, Federighi seems so likely. It would be I don't know, almost weird to see someone else take it instead of him. But I don't know. What do you think, Wes? I don't think we're looking in the right place. I, mm. I, I, I see where Neil's heart is. I get it. but And it makes sense. If, God forbid, Tim Cook dropped dead tomorrow, I think the best choice would be Jeff Williams. He's basically a, a clone of Tim Cook walking around from what I've read. You know, these other choices, I, I think they're perfectly happy in their positions. I mean, the CEO job is not the hardware job. They, you're, you're being pulled out. Um, I think... He mentioned Johnny Sarugi and that guy, I don't think he's going to want to leave uh, Chip Fab, right. you know, to go and be the CEO. We're talking 10 years from now. Uh, and of course, like Tim Cook was brought up under Steve and we he was very visible before the transition happened and everything. That doesn't always have to be the case. And I think we're playing a little too much into that idea that we're, we're seeing the guy right now that's going to replace Tim Cook and mm-hmm. maybe not. I mean, 10 years is a long time and yeah. any, any number of people could rise up to the position, but um, I'm a fan of the theory that uh, Johnny Ive is going to just sneak up into the background <laughs> and no. uh, usurp the throne. No, and just, you know, there'll be no ports on any Apple device in 10 years. I mean, that'll be, well, there'll be no Apple devices. So he'll just sell white rooms. Oh. That's, that's, it. <laughs> that's right. Everything is just a showroom. So interesting to think about. Thankfully, I think we have a number of years with Tim Cook at the helm. And, you know, thinking about Steve Jobs versus Tim Cook, they've been the two predominant CEOs at Apple, you know, kind of leading the company, Steve Jobs bringing it from, you know, ruin to, you know, extremely successful. We don't talk about the 90s. Yeah, yeah, we don't talk about that. You know, and then Tim Cook making it the most successful it's ever been. I know people were concerned because Steve Jobs is such a charismatic and outspoken figure. You know, he did the keynotes. If you remember the initial, obviously the iPhone launch, the iPad launch, you know, Steve Jobs did those keynotes. He was on stage, what, 90% of the time, unless there was like some demo or video. And Tim Cook is not like that. You know, Tim Cook opens a keynote, maybe closes it, does a couple interstitial moments, but he really leaves other members of the team to talk about the products. But in comparison, he's been very outspoken when it comes to policy and privacy and security and even social issues and political issues in the sphere. So it's just an interesting contrast to see the how Steve Jobs versus Tim Cook, but under Tim Cook's leadership has become 
the most profitable company ever. You know, and so to think about who would then take the helm into the next era, it's an interesting question. It's just interesting to look at the history here of just America giant corporation in general and over the last you know, couple of decades. There's a lot of big names out there that you can name off the top of your head. Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs, and Tim Cook, and these these guys, these figureheads that oversee these companies, and we see them as a personification of the company itself. I think that if you pay attention to how Apple's been handling their leadership staff, especially during keynotes over these last few years, they're trying to push away from that single figurehead image. And right. while Tim Cook's going to be very predominantly seen throughout the rest of his tenure, that may not be the case in the future that, you know, we could have one of these people step in quietly to manage the company and no longer be a figurehead and have the hardware departments step forward and, you know, kind of take the public helm as it is. I'm just personally kind of tired of the, you know, hero worship of companies like Tesla and having their, <laughs> their, their one guy up top that everyone talks about. And uh, a company is so much more than just the CEO and this one person. And I kind of like the idea of the diversification of these figureheads and being able to see them more publicly, like um, writing the information pages about each of these uh, leadership people. It's kind of crazy because some of them have never had a public interview or some of them share their college and ma that maybe they're married. Who knows that they're just such secretive hidden away people that I think that maybe having them step a little bit more into the spotlight might give Apple a little bit more color and personality than it has right now. Yeah. And I've enjoyed in the recorded events that Apple had in the past year, you know, we see a wide variety of people. Um, and, you know, many people, even within a single product, you know, Fitness Plus showing multiple people the different hardware products. So yeah, I, I agree. It's great to see more of the people behind these products uh, that are doing the work, you know, the day-to-day -day work. When we were, uh, Writing like WWDC last year, all the way through the iPhone events and stuff, it was just name, name, name. Who is that? What are they doing? Right, We've right. never seen this person before, and that that was exciting and exhausting at the same time. But it was it was really cool. Like I, yeah. I feel like we should know the person who oversees like hardware engineering of the iPhone or the person behind like fitness at Apple headquarters. Like I, I, I think those names are important as Tim Cook's name. And it's a little weird that like, just like with iPhone app, the way people talk about Steve Jobs basically inventing the iPhone, like he just walked into Apple one day and just slapped it on the table and said, look what I built in my garage. <laughs> right. And it's just not how it happens. Yeah. And if, if listeners have not read or heard about the book, Creative Selection, it's by Ken Cosienda, who worked at Apple during the iPhone era. And his a lot of his job, he worked on the Safari web browser, but then he worked on the keyboard, I think for both iPhone and iPad. But I remember distinctly a chapter talking about the keyboard on the iPad and how they were going to lay it out and the key sizes. And just reading about those kind of inside stories of the process of developing that keyboard and how they came to certain decisions. It is amazing how many people are involved and how much work goes in behind the scenes before it's at that time, presented to Steve Jobs, and then you made a decision and go back. So Creative Selection by Ken Cosienda. If you have not read it, I, I highly recommend. Okay, well, that was the interview with Tim Cook. Again, I'll put a link in show notes to that if you want to listen to it. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. But what's changed? The internet. 
Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted, and imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone's a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. That's why you get those super creepy ads and your data is just stolen and sold to the highest bidder. But with ExpressVPN, my internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn on ExpressVPN, whether it's on my iPhone, my iPad, my Mac, even some wireless routers can run ExpressVPN, so all of your internet traffic goes through ExpressVPN, you're given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. Not only that, but ExpressVPN is independently audited for its trusted server security. All the data is wiped with every reboot of their servers, and because their VPN servers run in RAM only, nothing is ever written to the hard drive, minimizing the data risk. And all of that helps keep your data private and secure. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, you just open the app, and all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash appleinsider and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash appleinsider. Go to expressvpn.com slash appleinsider to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Next, Apple actually announced a third-party integration with the Find My app. So this was a press release from Apple on April 7th, and Apple's basically saying the Find My network, the app on your iPhone or iPad, it now works with third-party trackers and devices. Namely, there's a couple devices that were actually mentioned in the press release, the Van Moof's electronic bikes, the Belkin Soundform wireless earbuds, and... Get this, a tracker from Chipolo. It's called the Chipolo One Item Finder. And it is basically what we would thought an AirTag is, or it's basically like a tile tracker. And so this is very interesting to me to announce third-party integration with the Find My app, including a tile tracker, but no mention of a first-party Apple AirTag device, along with this entire press release. It seemed like it would have been the perfect time for it. And then the question becomes, well, is the long-rumored AirTag just going to go away? You know, are they just never going to announce it because they now have this third-party program with a Tile Tracker included? First of all, Tile, I think, can make this work with their products, but they're currently either suing or in the process of suing Apple about stealing the competition or whatever that story was. Back when the Find My Thing first leaked, I think Tile ran straight to the court and was ready to sue Apple on competition, whatever. But I think this is interesting. It's an interesting move. This has been kind of whispered about and known about in the iOS betas for 
months now, just been waiting for it to happen. Uh, Belkin had those earbuds release a couple weeks ago that did this already. So this is just Apple's official announcement. I'm all for it. I want everything that I'll ever buy again to have some kind of find my integration with it. Yeah. I don't, I don't care. Just like if it has a, if it, if it's something that has a Bluetooth radio in it already, like say even a keyboard, I don't care. It, it's as dumb as that sounds. Just put it in everything because right. you never know when you might need to find something and it, with apple's push for augmented reality location finding and stuff having a little arrow pop up on your screen and say hey go over here it's right there uh just sounds really cool to me and this this will do wonders for theft pre- prevention and um just things in general or you know you, you have a house with five kids who ask you every day where they put their shoes well you never you just <laughs> pop open your tracker but in any case this is fun van moof never heard of them but now i really want one of their bikes yeah exactly i've never looked at it <laughs> so fancy but my god yeah yeah not inexpensive so the chipolo tag it is not available yet they say it starts shipping in june you can give them your email address to be notified i did that because very curious to try it i do have a couple tile devices weird that tile was not part of this announcement you know tile has been one of the longest standing location tracking tags you can get it everywhere it's you know i've had a couple of them uh it's it's i don't know weird to me i don't know why they wouldn't have been included in this because chipolo i had never heard of them but if tile does not bring find my integration to their products i'll definitely be going to the chipolo and and replacing my tags yeah sadly again uh, just tiles going the um epic games route i i don't know what their goal is apple's anti-competitive practices whatnot like i i just don't see what their case is here and it's just going to end up shooting them in the foot because once you burn a bridge with apple there's no coming back and i mean of course this is a third-party integration they can just do it i I have a feeling that if tile hadn't done all this nonsense in the first place that they would have been one of the release partners and we would be seeing an apple tile partnership kind of like logitech's crayon and stuff uh, coming out right now but yeah but yeah you're right the air tags being notably absent here it's it's funny because this isn't some product that Minchi Kuo mentioned in a in a release thing. Like Apple has leaked this themselves in videos, and <laughs> right. like it it's a thing that at least exists internally. And maybe it's a placeholder name. Maybe it's just something that you know a, a red herring of of sorts. But it just seems too real for it to just fade out. And I've heard a couple of podcasters say, hey, uh, maybe Apple needs to make a statement. Like, it's it's never coming, but, you know, they're never going to talk about a product they didn't announce. It's just no. wild that uh, this thing's been floating around for so long that it may never come. And the question is, is does it need to? Other than ultra-wideband, I don't see this thing being that much better than... Uh, a third-party tracker now of course there's always that chance of apple magic making it right. last a year or something i don't know but uh, i'd like to see something in this space from apple you know i would love to see a tile tracker that's chi charging compatible yeah i mean i guess they're way too small probably to have those kinds of foils but maybe maybe you know maybe soon that could be something like a MagSafe technology smart connector i don't know but something that could charge the tile so you don't have to buy a new one or send them away or whatever that would be an interesting feature I'm just surprised things like the AirPods Max that just released didn't have something in it for the like That's true. it has find my integration simply because it's like a Bluetooth product but I'm just surprised there wasn't more integration uh involved because yeah again you you need that Bluetooth connection I think they're findable in the find my network I don't think they're I don't I don't know if they're actually pinging that network or not that's something I'll have to look into 
Well, we have to talk about iPad Pro because you're on the show and, and we talk about it every time. But more <laughs> images leaked. This is leaker Sonny Dixon actually posted images on Twitter of supposed dummy models of the upcoming iPad mini and iPad Pros. Not much can be gleaned from it. The camera bump might be slightly smaller. Notably, if this is accurate, the camera is still on the smaller edge of the iPad Pro rather than moving to the longer horizontal edge. So if you're in a smart keyboard case, it would actually be in the right place. I'm inclined to not really care much about these images, but they're out there. We'll put a link in show notes if you want to see them. But in addition with this, there was a new report from Nikkei talking about Apple might finally be hitting production issues with MacBooks and iPads because of chip shortages. This has affected lots of other companies from car makers to technology companies, but that a portion of component orders have been pushed back to the second half of 2021. And Wes, you know what month is in the second half of 2021. And I hope this does not get delayed. Right, November. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, so anyway, uh, leaked images, but supply shortages there's still lots of people saying, like John Prosser is still saying there's going to be an April event and, and other people saying there's at least going to be some kind of device announcements this month, which I don't know. I mean, we're on April 9th right now. As you listen to this, you only got 20 days left in the month. If you have an announcement even next week, there would be an event. What is that? Maybe April 20th? It seems so late, but I don't know, man. Maybe we won't see an event. An event just seems highly unlikely. I don't think Apple's ever announced something like WWDC and then suddenly two weeks before that did a different event. It it just doesn't make sense. Uh, there's rhyme and reason to these press cycles. I don't think Apple's going to throw such a big curveball. Like the, these moving parts are huge. And as much as Apple likes to surprise and delight, they also like to plan. I don't know. It just feels kind of mean spirited almost to say, ha tricked you. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's just not that kind of move that they're probably going to make, but the chip shortage makes sense. I mean, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, like self-driving cars can't get what their LIDAR systems. iPad has LIDAR. It's, it seems like a pretty obvious connection. Then there's the UWB shortage, you know, ultra wide band stuff. Right. Can't get it. Guess what? Air tags can't get them the, either. All these little things, I, I think, you know, as little as Apple was affected by coronavirus, this back half of, you know, 2020, early 2021 uh, seemed to be affecting them more than coronavirus ever did, which is uh, crazy to think about. But just, you know, global chip shortages, what what can you do? Yeah, it was it almost seems obvious. And that's why maybe it, the writings on the wall, everything was probably ready to go to get announced, you know, uh, March, early April. And then. They just can't get these things mass produced. And what's the point of announcing them if right. we're waiting five, six months to get them in people's hands? Apple wants to doesn't do that anymore since air power. So <laughs> Yes, rest in peace. I don't know if it ever really lived, so maybe not. <laughs> right. I, I guess the iPad uh images, I completely skipped over those. Well, supposedly these are dummy models. The the whole thing feels weird. Uh, this guy's got a pretty good track history for sharing good images. Dummy models aside, it's just these leaks coming along now. I don't think there's any hope for an iPad until no later than July. Just saying. Like, <sighs> WWDC seems like the perfect time to announce something like that, yeah. especially if we're gearing up towards a larger chipset uh, chip move in the fall. So Yeah. Well, I still hope you're wrong, but we'll see. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Starkmail. Free email services like Gmail and Yahoo aren't really free. You pay with giving up your privacy and data. In fact, internet giants and big tech bank on exploiting your data by selling it to the highest bidder. 
Your business plan? Google has it in their email records. Your medical records? Yahoo can sell them to drug companies. Listen, I love that both of our sponsors this week are focused on your security and privacy. When you use these kinds of free email services, your data is just out there. That's why you get weird, creepy ads when you're browsing around the internet, and you don't know where your data is going. Ad companies all over the world could have that data, and then if there's some kind of data breach, your information is just out there on the web. That's why it's important to use tools that you can trust like Startmail. That's why I use it and I feel safe using it as my email client. Startmail keeps my email private, period. Every email can be encrypted even if the recipient doesn't use encryption. And when you delete an email from Startmail, it's gone forever. Startmail uses its own servers, not Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business. You probably know the parlor thing where they got taken off. That can't happen to Startmail because they use their own servers. Switching to Startmail is seamless too. You can easily transfer all your current email data so there's no starting from scratch. Startmail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You get unlimited anonymous aliases, and this feature protects your main email address from spam and phishing attacks. So when you're giving your email to a company but want to protect your identity, Startmail can generate a shareable alias email so people can't sell your information and they don't get your actual email address, and those aliases can be deleted anytime. When I signed up for Startmail, it is a super easy process. I love their user interface, whether it's on the web or using their app on your phone. And you can set up by IMAP on your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, and it's still just as secure and super easy to set up. Your cybersecurity has never been more at risk. Email snoops and scammers are taking advantage of the pandemic as phishing has skyrocketed in the last year. So take control of your privacy with Startmail before it's too late. Start securing your email privacy with Startmail. Sign up today and you'll get 50% off. That's 50% off your first year. That's a great deal. So go to startmail.com slash AI, just the letters AI. That's startmail with a T, S-T-A-R-T, mail.com slash AI for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash AI. Our thanks to Startmail for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, I wanted to mention this big change to the Apple Arcade. This is, I actually think, an incredible push by Apple. So Apple actually announced a bunch of new games for Apple Arcade. One of the big ones called Fantasian, which is made, I think, is it by the makers of the Final Fantasy series? So it's the guy who made Final Fantasy. Okay. Uh, I don't have his name right in front of me, but yeah, he's he's yeah. the lead maker of the original Final Fantasy. Gotcha. So they announced a bunch of new games, including that one, but they also added these new categories to the Apple Arcade section called Timeless Classics and App Store Greats. And what's cool is they're actually bringing in older games that were very popular into the Apple Arcade ecosystem. So if you subscribe to Apple Arcade, you have access to these games like immediately. Those include like Monument Valley. One of my favorite kind of puzzly games called Threes is now in the Apple Arcade. So if you subscribed with that $5 a month or if Apple Arcade is part of your Apple One services bundle, you now have access to all these old games plus all the new ones, which I think this is a great move for Apple to do this to Apple Arcade. It really increases the value of Apple Arcade in general to anybody who wants to subscribe. And what's interesting is these apps are actually still available in both places. So if you wanted to buy the app Threes, you can still buy it if you're not subscribed to Apple Arcade. And so you could pay whatever the few dollars is just for the single app. Or if you subscribe to Apple Arcade, you get access to that and all the hundreds of other games in the Apple Arcade. So I think there's a great move. I, I downloaded Fantasian and I know I think you tried it too. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it in a, in a second. But I tried Fantasian for a few minutes and it's, it's a beautiful game made with dioramas and uh, it's a great play. I, I was a huge Final Fantasy 
player and fan back in the day. And also, along those lines too, on Apple Arcade related, but Final Fantasy VIII actually came out for the iPad recently, and you could download the full game, Final Fantasy VIII, on your iPad and play it. And I did that as well. I, I played it for a little while. Extremely nostalgic. I didn't know if I had the stamina to like play the entire game through uh, anytime soon, but really cool that you can get it on the iPad now. And again, all these games and the change to Apple Arcade, I think this is a great move for Apple, and hopefully maybe alludes to a new Apple TV that has a little bit of a gaming focus in the future too. Well, first of all, 35 new games were announced, three of them pre-orders, two of them we knew about, and then the other 30 we didn't. And those 30 games, it opens up a whole new field of categories, the the casual gamer, Sudoku, Solitaire, stuff like that. Like, right. There's games on there now that my mother will actually play, right. and that's saying something. She's a big Solitaire fan, so <laughs> it's, it's just really cool that uh, Apple kind of busted the store wide open. Almost totally in secret. I saw the Twitterific guy kind of teasing uh, that they had a release coming up in a few days. Forensic Overtime. Forensic is a classic game from the guys who make Twitterific, and uh, they've completely remastered it and built it for Apple Arcade, and that's that's pretty exciting. And a lot of these like returns from the old App Store days, like Cut the Rope, yeah, Cut uh, the Rope re- remastered. That's that's exciting. I, I love that game. I, I I don't know why it's so addicting, but it's just simple puzzles, but really fun. But yeah, Fantasian, I've been anticipating for a while now. It's really exciting because they got the Final Fantasy guy. Right. Hironbu Sakaguchi is his name. He's the original creator of Final Fantasy, and he partnered with some people to build this game. It's not a Final Fantasy title, but it might as well be. Yeah. The graphics, the gameplay, you know, turn-based RPG type stuff, amazing. But the coolest thing is, is the entire game is built on dioramas. They physically built these actual, like, over 150 dioramas and photographed them. And as you move the character around the game, the camera pans around real photographs of these dioramas. And it's just really cool. It's very throwback uh, to, like, old-school video games that had to use real photographs of images because rendering video games back then was too taxing. So they would just use static image images for the backgrounds. And this is just kind of a, a cool throwback to something like that. Very Final Fantasy VII-esque anyway. Yeah. Another big Final Fantasy name is attached to this as well. Uh, Nobuo Uematsu. He's the guy who does the music for most of the Final Fantasy series. He, one of my favorite soundtracks is from Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. He also produced, He, he I, I watched a little video that Apple released on YouTube um, of him describing like he thought about going to this completely different and he just wanted a completely unique soundtrack built for this game that's supposed to represent the beauty of the dioramas and put some AirPods Max on and play this game and you'll see it's it's just really well done all the way around. Yeah, it's very cool. I will make the chapter art a behind the scenes image of one of the dioramas that uh, was made for Fantasian. It's, uh, you could see the set kind of they built and the picture and then kind of what it looks like in the game. So check that out. Look at your podcast player as we talk to, about it. This <laughs> you're talking about Apple Arcade, and that's the image you'll see in the chapter art in your podcast player. You know what's missing from the Apple Arcade App Store Greats section? What's that? Infinity Blade. I wonder why. (laughs) (laughs) It took me half a second to remember. Oh, that's an epic game. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's such a sad thing because I love Infinity Blade and they would have been perfect for App Store greats. But anyway. Very true. Yes. And yeah, I played the heck out of that game when, you know, when the iPad first came out, that was kind of the the first game that was like, whoa, this thing can, you know, have a really cool looking game that I want to play. It was a unique gameplay. I mean, it's been cloned a hundred times now, but the, the mechanics of it were just really fun. Yeah, yeah, and made sense on a touch-based 
tablet kind of thing too. But I also mentioned too, uh, since you mentioned Final Fantasy VIII, that means now that you can buy individually because money all the final fantasy games pre-final fantasy 10 so one through nine are all available on uh, the app store and they're regularly updated can't say that'll be the case forever but um, some of these games have been around since ios 6 and they continue to be updated for new device sizes controller support all of that so i've bought them all i love final fantasy and haven't regretted owning them on my ipad or anything since so definitely worth checking out i didn't realize that seven was on the iPad and iOS. Huh. Yeah, 7. So some of these, if you've kept up with this, it's confusing. Some of them are the original ports. Like Final Fantasy 7, I believe, is the PC version that they ported to iOS. Okay. Final Fantasy 8 is the remastered version that they built for PS4. Then like Final Fantasy 3 is, I think, the original version, not the 3DS version. There's so many versions of these games. But gotcha. generally speaking, you're getting them all. Uh, it m- in some form or other, they're all there. It's pretty pretty great. Gotcha. All right, well, I wanted to get to a running list of hopes for WWDC, but I'll, let me do some lightning round news bits that I think is interesting. I'll put these links in show notes if you want to read more about it. One was that amongst Apple's 2 million podcast titles in the Apple podcast directory, which is kind of what most podcasts use to refer to podcasts, only 36% of the podcasts in Apple's directory have 10 or more episodes, which... I don't know, it's just wild to me, but it makes sense. You know, a lot of people start podcasts and then leave them up there, but they don't continue to add episodes. So I thought that was an interesting figure. Uh, I'll leave that link in show notes. Intel failed again at an ad. <laughs> they made another marketing push with this image talking about the world's best processor in a thin and light laptop. And they used both a MacBook Pro in the image, which Apple makes their own chips now, and Beats headphones. So again, Intel failed at that ad. <laughs> I want to I want to interrupt your lightning. Yeah. Just just to say that wow, I did not realize that uh, internet marketing, like social media marketing, will just go to Getty Images, buy something, smudge out some logos and slap an Intel <laughs> right. logo on it and say, "Hey, look, I did my job for the day." Right. I'm um, buy you know that's what they did this is a getty image that they purchased and it's just yes. insane and people people commenting to me on this and like reddit or whatever saying oh you know this is easier than going out and doing a product shoot i'm like isn't doing a product shoot part of the job of mark <laughs> anyway it's just wow <laughs> yeah i mean if you can't afford to hire a photographer and one marketing person to set up a shot like i don't know about your chip business but anyway that's <laughs> you can see that image LG has stepped out of the smartphone business. You know, they've talked about recently having issues and just competition and all that. So LG will no longer be making smartphones. Moment of silence for LG. Google also announced I.O. was going to take place this year. Google canceled I.O., their developers conference last year with the pandemic and all. But this year, I.O. is going to take place May 18 through May 20th. They announced all the new Android features and Google Chrome stuff. So that'll be coming May 18th, Google I.O. Also, I thought this was interesting. T-Mobile announced 5G home internet, $60 a month, unlimited 5G data. They send you this tower-looking device. You plug it in at your house, and it puts out a Wi-Fi network, pulling down T-Mobile's 5G cellular data and gives you a Wi-Fi network at home. Uh, I think this is incredible. And as we move to better 5G technologies in the future, uh, this could be how some people do internet, especially, you know, people who live that RV life or maybe travel a bunch. And you can get T-Mobile 5G home Wi-Fi unlimited data for $60 a month. That's a big deal. So I thought that was cool. I'll put that link in show notes as well. 
underscore David Smith released 2.0 version of the WatchSmith app. He also makes Widget Smith, which was huge when iOS 14 came out. It was blew up on TikTok and got huge, but he also makes WatchSmith. And so if you're an Apple Watch user and you want to look for more customizations and complications on your watch, I encourage you to check out WatchSmith 2.0 that just came out. And lastly, Apple released a new original podcast called The Line, actually investigating some Navy SEALs and events that took place uh, within this specific unit. I started listening to the first episode. Very interesting. It has a serial type feel or, you know, some of those uh, podcasts that like This American Life have put out. So uh, interesting podcast. Interesting that Apple is doing original podcasts and increasing the number. So I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it as a, you know, ex-military guy, uh, what you would have thought. I listened to the first episode. This is their second original podcast. Well, Apple News Today, I don't know if that counts, but then they also have the, yeah. for all mankind, uh, they also have that as a podcast. Right behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, that's actually really good too. But uh, I did listen to the first episode of this and it sounds like the military. Uh, there's a lot of cuss words. Um, <laughs> right. They're interviewing the guy that got, you know, he, he did some pretty terrible crimes. There's some concerns I, I just wanted to voice. I've seen through the internet like why are we giving this guy the time of day he you know murdered a dude uh the first episode and i think from here on i don't think the goal is to exonerate him or glorify what happened or anything like that the interviewer always takes a moment to contextualize what's happening and i feel like it's a really good examination of mental health in the military and just mm. the things that can really affect you what happened to this guy is terrible and he is a you know certified monster for what he did but he wasn't originally and something changed in him and the examination of what happened over the years i think is worth having and i don't think enough media takes this approach so just wanted to point out that this this uh, looks like it's going to be doing a pretty respectful job of that mm. and i enjoyed uh listening to the first episode i'll be keeping an eye on it and it's going to be a full-on documentary show on apple tv plus this fall too so oh wow okay i didn't realize that very cool well, we'll put that link in show notes. It is explicit. There's a, there is cursing. So just be mindful of that. All right. Well, I wanted to wrap up in our last few minutes with an ongoing list of hopes for WWDC software announcements, features that we're looking for. For me, I just had two to add to my list from last week. One is better control center functionality. You know, you have control center, you can customize it a little bit, but I would like even more control of what you can do in the control center. You know, the Swipe down from the top right corner of your iPhone, especially specific home devices. It kind of just surfaces devices that it thinks you want, and I would love to be able to customize that specifically. And because I do a lot of family setup devices, I would love for there to be better features, especially for family setup on the watch, sleep tracking, which you cannot do right now if you have a child or you've set up a watch in the family setup. Uh, you can't do sleep tracking and a bunch of other things. So I would wish they bring features like that and maybe even the possibility to pair an Apple Watch with an iPad or something. So if you have a child with an iPad and you want them to have an Apple Watch, but not necessarily an iPhone, that they would give more options like that, maybe setting up with an iPad or, or something like that. Those are two to my list that I will be adding continually. But Wes, you have a few here. As an iPad first user, what are you hoping for at DubDub? This, uh, I'm, I think I've probably mentioned all of these before in some context, especially last year's wish list, which they, you know, didn't come true. So, 
iPad external monitor support needs a revamp, obviously. I would love to have an extended display rather than a mirrored display right. and have it actually take up the full uh, 16 by 9 um, monitor. There's a million things Apple could do here. I think th this is just low-hanging fruit that's been around for a number of years now. It just needs to happen, Apple. Come on. Yeah. Better file management. We have file management. I'm pretty happy with it, but I think we need the ability for stuff like shortcuts to target it. I would love to see um, like file naming automations, stuff like that. The things that you can do on Mac OS, I think we need to bring over to iOS as well. There's just certain uh, systems there that could definitely be improved. Safari extensions on iOS, I think uh, stuff like DuckDuckGo or things like um, ad blockers. Sure, we already have ad blockers, but they're very rudimentarily implemented as it is. Just more complex. If Apple uh, gave us the desktop class Safari last year, then this year should be the desktop class Safari extensions. Mm -hmm. You know, give me the ability to uh, highlight a word and have a dictionary thing pop up. You know, it, there could be a whole App Store component to this. Right. Another just obvious next step for Safari. Clipboard management tools. This is one of yours that you've brought up before. Mm -hmm. I feel like copy and paste shouldn't be copy something twice and you've lost the last thing you copied. I, I right. think there should be some sort of universal system in place. Any kind of management here would be great. Improve multitasking. Yep. I think that right now, side-by-side -side apps are great. Uh, slide over is awesome, but you can't have three apps side by side. And I think some apps are built to work well as a tall, thin window. I can't mm -hmm. say this would be great for a lot of situations, but there's there there are places where I think three windows would work great, like note taking and such. Give us more options here, Apple. I, I don't I don't want a full windowing system like on Mac OS. I don't want to have overlapping things other than maybe one slide over window, but there's definitely things that could be changed here. Yeah. And my biggest complaint and the most irritating thing that I deal with day to day is overlapping UI. There are random places in the UI that just disappear depending on what you're doing. And the most egregious one is slide over when you're using a keyboard. If you have slide over open or typing in a text field, the keyboard thing where the corrections show up covers the app switcher bar mm. on slide over. Yep. <laughs> and you can't interact with it. And that's, it's just, it drives me nuts. And it's at least three clicks to get that keyboard bar to go away every single time. And I don't know how many times a day I have to do this, but it's, it's a lot. And yeah. uh, it, it just, it just frustrates me every time I see it. And I think little changes could go a long way there. Yeah. I would love all those changes as well. And, and the file management is such a big deal. You know, I, I talked about iCloud drive on the Mac and all that, and it would just be great if file management improved across the board, iPad, iOS, and Mac for sure. Well, let's wrap up with just a little bit of listener feedback and questions. First of all, some listeners have been emailing me. Love hearing from you. Rich from Sarasota and Lee listening all the way from Australia. You know, I know we can see some analytics about where people are listening to around the world, and it's so awesome to hear. So, hey, if you listen somewhere not the U.S., I'd love to hear from you and, and know what country you're from and, and what time zone you're in. You know, we, we've tried to adjust our, our launch times for the podcast so people in Europe and other places can listen to it on Friday, like on their way to work and stuff. So anyway, uh, thanks, Rich and Lee. Love to hear from you. Love to hear from you listeners where you're listening from. You can tweet at me and email me. That's all in the show notes. Also, Dave emailed me. I mentioned the Apple TV audio settings last time and how they moved it away from the settings app. And Dave actually said the audio selection, if you want to select a HomePod for the Apple TV audio out is actually moved to the Bluetooth menu on the Apple TV rather than the audio settings. So thanks, Dave. That's where you would find the audio selection in settings instead of that slide over control center thing. 
And finally, Stuart asked, he's a teenager in high school and was wondering if anyone can watch WWDC 2021 or do you have to be a developer to watch? And when it comes to the keynote on June 7th, where Apple will be making all the announcements, you can watch that live either on Apple's website. And a lot of times they stream it on YouTube. We don't know that for sure, but most likely. But that is free to watch. Even if you just go to Apple's website, anyone can watch it. It's totally public. But when it comes to the sessions and some of those events, you do have to be a developer. And for Apple to become a developer, anyone can sign up. It is $99 a year. And when you do that, you get access to the beta downloads. You know, you'll you'll be able to download the betas of iOS 15 and the other operating systems that come out that day. And then you also get access to those sessions and Do check with your school uh, because there are some uh, programs where you can become a developer and uh, I think it's either a nonprofit or certain designations where you might be able to save some money on that developer fee or be able to get a developer account through an organization. So check with your school, your education system, and see if there's any options like that for you. But I'd love to hear and interact from all of you listeners. You can tweet at myself or Wes. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can email me. And we are actually still doing a call for technology podcasts or Apple podcasts. If you host one and you'd like an Apple Insider staff person to appear on it, we'd like to consider your show. So you can email me. My email is in the show notes. And let me know if you have a podcast like that that you'd be interested in having an Apple Insider staffer on. If you get a chance, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. That helps out the show a lot. And don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider. That's our podcast about HomeKit and the smart home. That comes out every Monday and Apple Insider Daily. That's every day you get the latest Apple headlines in just a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.